Hi everyone, it's your intrepid podcaster. I have a great big thank you to offer today to my newest Patreon supporter, Jeff, who not only is generously supporting the podcast, but he also gave me a fabulous idea for an end-of-the-year episode, and if I can find the right material, I will be taking him up on that. Now, you don't have to be a Patreon supporter to suggest ideas for the podcast. I welcome any kind of input from all of my listeners. Very often, your suggestions have provided fodder for some of my most interesting episodes. If you also want to follow in his generous and thoughtful footsteps, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, and you too can become a supporter of the podcast. Every single bleepity bleep week, I put out a bonus episode, and there's lots of great stuff, and this week's is going to be as good as any of them have been. So thank you, Jeff. Thank you, everyone, for your listenership, for your suggestions, just for everything. I'm feeling very grateful today. Oh, before we start the episode, I just have to tell you something really funny. I made a new friend yesterday who told me that he thinks that I have developed a German accent. And I said to him, no, honestly, it's not that I have a German accent. I'm just pretentious. (laughs) Anyway, let's not waste a further moment. Here is today's episode. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Guntlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. A year ago, for Halloween, I did an episode called The Haunted Opera House. It was dedicated to 20th century operas, which had as their theme witchcraft, devilry, and various other kinds of Halloween-appropriate subject matter. The composers ranged from Dvorak to Penderecki, and there were two works by Respighi that were featured as well, Belfagor and La Fiamma, the latter of which has to do with all things witchy and witchcrafty. I became absolutely fascinated with this opera, so I am devoting the whole episode today to excerpts from recordings of La Fiamma, I'll be guiding you through with the plot, because it's not a familiar piece. And the musical examples feature some of the most astonishing performers of the last, well, I don't know how far back we go, 1955. So, through 1997. To put us in the right mood, here's Nina Simone in a live performance from 1968, singing one of her classic songs, originally by Screamin' Jay Hawkins, I Put a Spell on You. Put a spell on you. 
put me down So I went to Alabama and I got me some mojo dust And I put a spell on you It is appropriate that Nina Simone has cast a spell on us because this opera is all about witches, or maybe witches. Certainly women accused of being witches and subjected to the commensurate punishment. Let me just tell you a little bit about La Fiamma. It is one of Respighi's last works. It was premiered in the year 1934 in Rome. It's based on a play by the Norwegian playwright Virs Jensen, called Anna Pedersdotter, The Witch. This play also formed the basis for the film by Carl Dreyer, called Day of Wrath, that was released, I think it's 1953, but it's the early 50s, and it's all about, well, it's a similar plot, of course, to La Fiamma. So you'll find out what Anna Peter's Daughter, The Witch, and Day of Wrath are about by listening to my description of the synopsis as we go. The opera was an immediate success at its premiere. The role of Silvana was taken by Giuseppina Cobelli. She's not so well remembered today, but she was a dynamite verismo singer and dramatic soprano who also sang Wagner and Santuzza and all of the usual dramatic soprano parts. The opera was taken up by companies all around the world in the first couple years of its existence, including the first performance at the Teatro Colón in Buenos Aires later that year, where Claudia Muzio sang the part of Silvana. The only memento that we have of Muzio in this part are a number of fantastic photographs, which you will find on the show notes page at countermelodypodcast.com. So, for those of you who would like to see those, please check it out. Later the same year came the first production at the Chicago Opera, which Respighi himself conducted, and which featured Rosa Raisa, the original Turando, as Silvana. Then it was done in La Scala, just a year after it had been premiered in Rome, with Gina Cigna singing the role of Silvana. But Silvana is not the only choice role in this opera. There's an amazing mezzo part, there's a fantastic tenor part, although the tenor himself I find to be a little bit of a schmuck. There's a fascinating baritone role. There are wonderful secondary leads for soprano and contralto, and also two different bass roles that are short but to the point. Respighi had been toying with the idea of doing an opera set in Byzantine times, and he was looking at the story of Theodora but he was having difficulty coming up with either a libretto or a dramatically viable plot. But his librettist, Claudio Guastala, who had also done the libretto for his opera Belfagor, which deals with the devil coming to earth, suggested the Anna Pedersdotter piece, and Respighi 
immediately latched onto this idea and said, yes, and let's set it in 7th century Byzantium. So that's exactly what he did. Now, there are a number of fascinating live performances of this opera, as well as one studio recording made for Hungarotón Records in 1985, conducted by Lamberto Gardelli and starring the Hungarian soprano Ilona Tokodi. In the very early days of this opera, it was produced with great success in Budapest. And I think that has something to do with the opera continuing on the fringes of the repertoire there. It's also been revived in Rome, Barcelona, Trieste, and a few other places. It's not heard so often, although it did receive a fabulous concert performance at Carnegie Hall in 1987, with Robert Bess conducting the Collegiate Chorale, and a dynamite group of soloists. We'll be hearing from that as well, because a live recording was made. Uh, And as I was saying, how many recordings did I have today? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Different live recordings of this that are relatively easily found, but I went through every single one and chose the choice excerpts, which I will be featuring as I go through the plot itself. So let's see, he said, turning through his uh, liner notes to the LP issue of the Hungaroton recording. We're going to hear an excerpt of a live recording from Utrecht in October 1990, with Edo de Waert leading the Philharmonic Radio Orchestra. And Felicity Palmer is an extremely effective Eudosia. late 7th century Ravenna, in the palace of the exarch Basilio, Eudosia, his mother, and Silvana, Basilio's second wife, supervise the needlework of the serving maids. Eudosia's severity creates an oppressive atmosphere, as only a dramatic mezzo can do. The women doing the needlework sing in a wordless vocalese, as we hear Respighi already creating with the modes that he so frequently used in his work, a very specific oral setting for this piece as well. Eudosia breaks the relative quiet by upbraiding one of the servants, Monica, who is the favorite of Silvanas, her confidant and someone that she turns to for solace in her not very happy life.
After this scene, Eudossia leaves the room and a more cheerful atmosphere infiltrates the room. But Silvana is not happy, and her confidant, Monica, asks her what's up, and Silvana responds with a beautiful aria. A shadow disturbs me here under the open sky, and I miss the air under these dark arcades among the enormous walls I feel suffocated and burnt. My youth must wither in this closed garden in its inconsolable sadness, taking wing for a moment, and then the cold in my heart and bones, the leaden cloak, once again descends. You don't understand, and may you never understand. So, I'm afraid Silvana's not a very happy young woman. We shall listen to this aria, as performed by the Bulgarian soprano Mara Koleva, who had a short but flaming career, no pun intended, in Italy in the late 50s and early 60s. This was a recording made for the Rai in Milano, Italian radio, featuring Francesco Molinari Pradelli conducting, and as the confidant, Monica, we briefly hear a very young Anna Moffo. Oh, <laughs> 
Now on with the story. The crowd is heard shouting outside. They're chasing Agnese di Cervia, whom the people of Ravenna have accused of witchcraft and infanticide. Agnese, in full flight, appears and asks Silvana to conceal her. Silvana bids her swear she has made no pact with the devil. 
but Agnese avoids taking the oath by making veiled allusions to Silvana's mother. As the pursuers approach, Silvana, finally moved and somewhat disturbed by the reference to her own mother and her own possible association with witchcraft, conceals the old lady. So we're going to hear that very scene where Agnese comes into the room and a heated conversation between Silvana and Agnese takes place. This is from a live performance in Trieste in the year 1987. And we hear two stalwart Italian singers of that era, the contralto Gloria Scalchi and the soprano Giovanna Casolla. Casolla is famed for singing all the big Italian dramatic soprano parts from Santuzza to Turando, and she's a very effective performer as well of Silvana. She doesn't have the refinement and the pianissimo capabilities that someone like Coleva or some of the other sopranos we're going to hear has, but she knows how to tear into a line with enormous dramatic import. She is 78 years old now, and not so long ago, she was still singing roles like Eboli and singing them enormously effectively. Gloria Scalchi is a contralto of a younger era. In fact, she and I appear to be the same age. But she has one of those, again, sort of balls-to-the-wall, dramatic mezzo voices. Although I think she's a little bit more of a contralto. But anyway, she's very, very good in this part of Agnese.
Now some things happen to close off Act One, and I'm going to tell you all about them. The serving mates report that Donello, the grown-up son of the Exarch, in other words, Silvana's stepson, has returned from Byzantium after a long absence. There follows a dialogue, that is, an actual duet, between Silvana and Donello, and it becomes clear that stepmother and stepson have met before, many years ago, when Donello was still a boy, and Silvana was not so many years older than he. She, at the time still unwed, had carried a companion of Donello's who was injured after being thrown by a horse to the hut of Agnese di Cervia, of all people. Silvana is uncomfortable with the subject, possibly because she's hiding Agnese herself behind a big curtain? Could be. Eudossia enters, and Donello hands her gifts from the Empress Irene. The din of the irate crowd is heard again. Those pursuing the witch, who are led by the exorcist of the Church of San Anastasia, are admitted to the palace of the Exarch. They discover Agnese's hiding place and drag away the beseeching and cursing woman. I'm not going to play this for you because it's a big choral moment, but there's a lot of choral writing in this piece, which we'll only be sampling peripherally because I really want to focus more on the moments with the principles. It ends with Agnese being dragged off to be tortured and burnt at the stake, cursing Eudossia, her son, the Exarch, and her grandson, Donello, and telling Silvana that she soon will be following in her footsteps. Act 2 opens in a much lighter mode, as we see Donello, a young man greatly devoted to his own pursuit of pleasure, flirting with the servant maids. Let's listen to that scene. It's a very different kind of antique setting. In fact, it evokes for me certain arie antiche. In this performance, we shall once again return to the Rai recording from 1955, and we shall hear the wonderful Italian tenor Giacinto Prandelli singing the role of Donello and flirting with the Monica, once again, of Anna Moffo. Fuori bonda, la con 
I love this scene, so I'm going to play the whole thing, but feature two different recordings, apart from the one that we just heard. Monica tells Donello that love is a different matter altogether than simply flirting, hinting that she herself has fallen in love with him. And suddenly, Silvana appears out of nowhere and calls sternly to Monica and tells her that, much to her chagrin, for the sake of Monica's safety and soul, she's going to have to banish her to a convent. She tells her that Donnello is not at all serious and she is foolish to waste her affections on him. Monica pleads with her, but there is nothing to be done. We shall once again turn to the Utrecht performance, in which we hear as Monica, none other than a very young Deborah Voigt, being angrily upbraided by the Silvana of another great Bulgarian soprano, Stefka Evstatieva. Thank you. 
Monica enters into 
a section in which she pleads not to be banished, we're cutting to yet another live performance. This one, the one I mentioned that took place at Carnegie Hall in 1987 and starred, among others, Alessandra Mark, Mignon Dunn, James McCracken, and, as Monica, the wonderful African-American soprano Delcina Stevenson. And it is she who is heard primarily in this scene. Thank you. 
Now let's return to the plot. Basilio, the exarch, arrives with his court. His orders make it clear, as the champion of orthodoxy, that he is preparing to wage war on the Pope, who has been proclaimed a heretic. When Basilio, Silvana, and Donello remain by themselves, Silvana demands that Donello tell her what was said at Agnese's execution. Donello tells them what Agnese cried out from the stake, that Silvana had concealed her, and that Silvana's mother had once employed witchcraft to force Basilio, the exarch, to marry her daughter. The enraged Basilio sends for the prefect and issues an order. Anyone who dares spread the witch's lies shall have his tongue cut out. But left alone with Silvana, he confesses that Agnese, about to be burned at the stake, actually told the truth. Silvana's mother did bewitch him and did cause him to fall in love with her. But since then, the witchcraft has been replaced by actual love, and he begs her not to become obsessed with this confession, but instead to be strong and to allow the gates of the past to remain shut. In this recording, we once again turn to the Rai performance, led by Molinari Pradelli, which features, as Basilio, the Italian baritone Carlo Tagliabue, who was born in 1898 and died in 1978. So at this point in his career, he was in his late 50s. It's around this time that he also recorded the role of Don Carlo in Forza opposite Maria Callas. Tagliabue has a history with this opera because when it was first performed at La Scala in 1935, he sang the same role of Basilio. He's an incredibly effective performer and he sings this extended aria, Una Potenza Misteriosa, in which he describes the scene in which Silvana's mother cast a spell over him to which Silvana responds with what I could only describe as hysteria. Prova del suo fascino 
First, Silvana is shocked by the doleful fate of her mother, but she is soon seized by awesome curiosity as to whether or not she has inherited her mother's skills of witchcraft. Basilio tries to calm her down and tells her to pray, but when she is left alone, Silvana puts herself to the test. She lights candles in a circle and whispers Donello's name, evoking him. The young man appears, and according to the description here, they are united in an ardent kiss. Let's just say they do the dirty deed. Now this is a moment where there's very little singing. Through great economy of means and the repetition of certain motifs, Respighi builds the tension as Silvana constructs her magic circle of flame and then speaks the name of her would-be lover. As underscoring, we have been listening to an incredibly effective live recording featuring the phenomenal Romanian soprano Nelly Miricioiu, who sang in a brand new production of this opera in Rome in the year 1997. And remember, this opera company premiered the work back in 1934. When Donello finally appears and speaks her name, the orchestra then erupts in a passionate 
explosion of sound as the lovers embrace and proceed to do their thing. The tenor, who appears very briefly speaking Silvana's name, is Gabriel Sade, and Gianluigi Gelmetti is the conductor. As Act 3 begins, the two lovers are together in Donello's room where they have spent the night in ecstatic communion. Dawn breaks and Donello is seized with a desire to escape from this sinful love, but ecstasy proves stronger. This is a very long duet. It's almost 18 minutes long. Very, very beautiful. And I'm going to play the final portion of this duet which reveals an interesting musical influence on Respighi. 
for not only was he interested in musical modes and Gregorian chant, both of which he uses in this opera, but also the influence of Monteverdi. He indeed prepared a performing edition of, I think it was Ulisse or Orfeo, maybe even Popea. Anyway, he was very involved in disseminating the music of Monteverdi in the early years of the 20th century. So that composer is a very strong influence. You hear that in this very short portion of the duet that I'm going to play for you called Dolce la Morte. Since we just heard Mirichuyu and Sade, I thought it would be nice to present them again in this very brief portion of the love duet. Eudosia arrives. She utters dark words as the situation becomes clear to her. 
Silvana seeks to flee the room, but Eudossia forces her to remain. She wants her to hear what her husband has to say to them both. Basilio enters, a broken old man, the shadow of his former self. He tells his son that Donello has been ordered back to Byzantium by the Empress. The young man rebels at first, but then, with rising hope of starting everything afresh and, frankly, escaping from the clutches of Silvana, bows to the decision. He runs out, and Silvana is left alone with Basilio. She tries to discourage him from sending his son back to Byzantium, as she suspects that this is an intrigue formulated by his mother. But when she sees that Basilio will not yield, her suppressed hatred for him breaks forth. She calls the exarch the robber of her youth, tells him that for quite some time she's been wishing he would die, and that every time he touches her she cringes, and furthermore, that she's just enjoyed a night of love with his own son. Basilio collapses, lifeless. Silvana waits an interminably long period of time until she's sure that he's dead, then cries out for help. Shades of the little foxes. Fedra meets Regina Giddens, don't you know? Eudosia rushes in and accuses her of both murder and witchcraft. The role of Silvana was a late career assumption for the great Spanish soprano Montserrat Caballé, who sang it at the Liceu in Barcelona in the 1989-1990 season. And she is heard here in a live performance from the 23rd of December 1989. I don't know why this was considered an appropriate pre-Christmas opera, but there you have it. And she's heard opposite the Spanish baritone Juan Pons, who was mentored early in his career by Caballé herself. We also hear briefly as Eudosia at the end, Vera Banievich. And in this live telecast, we also hear too frequently and much too loudly the prompter. So try and overlook those whispered interjections.
In the second scene of Act Two, Silvana is brought before the tribunal of the church. She pleads her innocence. Although she confesses to having erred in yielding to the passion of love, she insists that she is neither a witch nor the murderer of her husband. We hear a portion of 
the bishop's interrogation of Silvana and her response. Non per malia, per empito d'amore, per empito di vita, che più forte d'ogni malvagia sorte. I'm guilty not for wickedness, but for the desire of love, for the desire of life, which is stronger than any evil force. This is an excerpt from the sole studio recording that La Fiamma has received up until this point. It's a very effective one. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's from the year 1985, with Lamberto Gardelli leading the Hungarian State Orchestra, and the fantastic, I emphasize fantastic, Hungarian soprano Ilona Tokodi singing Silvana. In this scene, she is confronted by the bishop, as portrayed by Hungarian bass Kolos Kovac.
before I introduce the final scene, I want to wish you all a wonderfully creepy Halloween and freedom from those nasty witches running around casting spells on poor innocent people. <laughs> but seriously, I hope that you have enjoyed this exploration of a neglected 20th century operatic masterpiece. I've really enjoyed getting to know this opera better, and I encourage you all to listen to the whole thing. And there are, as you have just heard, a number of different performances to choose from. I have my own favorites, I have my preferences, but you also probably will have formed your own ideas about which version you'd like to explore further, so I hope that you will do that. I also wanted to tell you that there is going to be a bonus episode this week as well, and it's going to feature some rare recordings made for Italian radio featuring that fantastic Bulgarian soprano Mara Koleva. So if you want to hear more of Koleva in a more traditional repertoire, please do check out that bonus episode that we'll be posting before the end of the week. And now, the synopsis of the gruesome final scene of La Fiamma. The crowd is moved by Silvana's confession and self-defense. Donello, too, intercedes on Silvana's behalf and asks that she be absolved. The chorus murmurs their assent, but then Eudossia angrily interjects her counter-argument, recalling Agnese's accusations and demanding judgment on Silvana. Silvana is then ordered to prove her innocence by swearing on a reliquary that she is not in league with the devil. Donello also urges her, to do this. But Silvana, seeing that even Donello has doubts about her being in league with the devil, breaks down. She begins to repeat the oath after the bishop, but she cannot make the final confession. In the eyes of the crowd, this is tantamount to Silvana's declaration of alliance with the devil. The bishop raises his hand to curse her, and the crowd draws back in horror, crying out, which, at the final tableau, we are left with the certainty that Silvana will be put to death. So I am going to play this entire scene, it's about 10 minutes long, beginning with Donello's pleading on Silvana's behalf, the chorus's response, Eudossia's angry interjection, and Silvana's broken and finally incomplete confession to the bishop, followed by the crowd's frenzied calls for her immediate execution. We are going to hear the live performance by the Collegiate Chorale and Robert Bass from Carnegie Hall in December 1987. And in the leads, we hear, what a cast this is, my God, James McCracken as Donello, Mignon Dunn as Eudossia, Alessandra Mark, once again, as Silvana, and the great bass Kevin Dees as the bishop. One final confession from me. There was about five seconds of dropout in both sources of this recording that I found. So I imagine it stems from the original source. So I had to, at one point, insert the voice of Felicity Palmer singing one climactic phrase. Keep your ears out, you'll probably hear the difference in audio quality. But I thought this performance was really worth sharing in spite of that.
friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.